You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. How many of you are um, college basketball fans? Any of you? A couple of you? All right. Not nearly enough hands to actually make this as funny as I had hoped it would be. Um, But um, no. Last night uh, was probably the best college basketball game I have ever seen in my entire life. Uh, Gonzaga in UCLA playing the semifinals. So the winner goes to the national championship. No one, I think, had a lead by more than four points. The lead changed hands constantly throughout the game. It went into overtime. And then on a last-second shot in overtime, Gonzaga shoots just past half-court. It's almost a half-court shot, banks it in for the game winner. And uh, I had picked Gonzaga for my bracket, so obviously I was happy about that outcome. But even so, I mean, it was one of the most, uh, again, one of the best games I'd ever seen. Uh, Now, some of you may not know this, but uh, Betsy and I are both graduates of Oral Roberts University. And again, sticking with this college basketball tournament motif, um, ORU in the first round beat Ohio State University. Now, that was kind of a big deal. Because again, um, Ohio State was ranked number one in their region, one of the top teams in the country. ORU barely made it in the tournament. In fact, they were ranked number 15 in their region. Um, And... uh, yeah, so it was, it was, they beat him in overtime, and then the next week, or I'm sorry, just in a couple days later, um, ORU also beat University of Florida. Another just, no one expected this. It was just a, a huge, huge upset. In fact, it was the only, was the second time in history that a number 15 team, like ORU, had made it to the, uh, the final teams. There were 16 left and made it to that final 16. So only the second time in history that that had happened. Um, in fact, uh, Betsy had t- taken a picture. Someone had photoshopped an ORU jersey on us, and she put it on her Facebook uh, page. Some of you may have seen it. And under it, she put a caption that said, David beats Goliath. Um, now, somebody, well, what does that mean? I think for some of us uh, who are familiar with some of the Old Testament will know, but what she's referencing is an Old Testament story of a young man named David who killed this warrior giant named Goliath um, with nothing more than a stone and a slingshot. And uh, everyone, everyone who was there at the time expected Goliath to kill David with little trouble at all. Just they didn't expect it to be much of a fight or much of a battle. <clears throat> the outcome was the exact opposite of what everyone is expecting. And so like David, ORU had beaten opponents no one expected them to beat. We love upsets, don't we? We do. That's just part of who we are. They give us hope. That, that the underdog can overcome adversity, that, that no matter what our struggles are, that there's a chance, there's a possibility that we can come out on top, that even when obstacles seem insurmountable, there's this sense of, but maybe, but maybe this could happen. Well, for Christ followers, there's no bigger upset than when Jesus rose from the dead less than 48 hours after his death on the cross. On Saturday night, all of his followers went to bed still numb from how things had turned out. So it's been 24 hours and they're still just overwhelmed with grief. For three years, they had followed Jesus wherever he went. They lived with him. They walked with him. They ate with him. They spent literally day and night with him. They fully believe that God had sent Jesus to return Israel to its former glory. At that time, they were, they were an occupied colony of Rome 
and that Jesus was the Messiah that everyone for centuries in Jewish history had pointed towards. This was Jesus. Jesus was the Son of God. And then, to their horror, he's arrested, and then he's condemned to die on trumped-up charges, and he's killed by Roman execution. And for the followers of Jesus, all hope was gone, and they were lost. And then sunrise happened on Sunday morning. And that's our passage we want to read this morning. It's from Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to, him, said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your resurrection of your son Jesus. The day that we point to is uh, that not even death could overcome your authority and power. Father, in the next few moments, as we dig a little deeper into this experience that these women and disciples and even to us today, what this means to us and how this should affect us, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would cause everyone to hear what they need to hear. And uh, Lord, that you would, again, just be with us here in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before I go any further, I think... uh, Let me address the big issue for those who might have doubts about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Let me say this. The the history, or or the resurrection of Jesus, I'm sorry, is historically reliable. The resurrection of Jesus is historically reliable. See, here's the thing. The life and existence of Jesus isn't in question. Um, Non-biblical historians, so people who've written in history, Josephus, who was Jewish, but he wasn't Christian. He lived after Jesus, and his account of history, of the Jewish history, told of Jesus. So at least um, with him, he was aware of the fact that Jesus was alive and recorded that part of the story in the history. And it wasn't just Jewish. Um, a Roman historian named Tacitus also wrote of this man named Jesus who was killed on a cross. And they both acknowledged that Jesus was crucified on a cross. So, historically, the life of Jesus isn't in question. We can feel very confident about that. The resurrection is where I think many people get hung up, but it's the thing that really matters the most in many ways. So, in that regard, a couple thoughts. Um, With regard to the resurrection, first off, it was observed by firsthand witnesses. 
There are five different writers in the New Testament who saw Jesus after his resurrection. And they wrote about it, each of the Gospels and Paul. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, you can't use the Bible to prove itself. Again, that's not something you do in research, and, and, and you, you have to use external sources to prove your point. And while that's a valid argument, I think we need to look at the way the Bible does portray the resurrection of Jesus. Consider the fact that the first eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus were women. Now, in a society that was male-dominated, if I was trying to uh, per- perpetrate a falsehood, a lie, I wouldn't be putting women as the first ones to acknowledge and see him, I would have put men in that. So if I'm creating a story, I'm not creating that one. I'm creating a much different story. Even more compelling to me is that all of the disciples, history accounts for them, all except for John. The John they're not sure about. But all the other disciples died horrific deaths for their faith. I don't know about you, but I'm not dying for somebody else's lie. So the fact that they were willing to go through that and to put their lives on the line and actually to give their lives, again, says something happened to them that this wasn't just some fantasy that they were dreaming up or something they were, some falsehood they were trying to gain political points or gain political power. They literally cost them their life. The Apostle Paul is even more. For me, the Apostle Paul is the greatest evidence of the resurrection of Christ. He was an outsider. Paul literally persecuted Christians after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's responsible for the Apostle Stephen's death. And yet, because of his transformation, because of his conversion experience, and encountering Jesus on the road, there were blinded him for those days, he was convinced to the point that he did a complete about-face. Instead of being Christianity's greatest enemy, he became Christianity's greatest proponent. And most of our New Testament is because of what he's written. So, historically speaking, we can look at this, the resurrection of Jesus, with confidence and that there's, there's a, a substantial, it's substantial in the way we want to think about that. So, now, besides being one of the greatest upsets in history, why is erection so important to Christ followers? Um, now, in your outline, I'm going to swap out the order a bit. I think I'm going to move uh, number two to number three, moving number three to number two. So, for me, one of the th- reasons why I think it's so important to us is that the resurrection is a past event that brings present hope. Um, some of you may know that early on in uh, Betsy's and mine, our marriage and ministry, um, we found ourselves living in my grandmother's mobile home in rural Minnesota. Uh, she moved out and moved in with my uncle and his wife next door, and so we were there with our, our family. And I had just recently graduated from seminary, um, and we were looking and waiting for our next place of ministry. Um, now, I need to understand, <clears throat> I'd grown up in ministry. My dad was a pastor. Um, I had worked in growing and effective churches and ministries my entire life. My youth group that I had prior to going back to to seminary, back to school, I had over 100 kids in my youth group, just high school kids. Um, I had studied churches and leadership and in grad school, and I was ready to go. I was ready to set the world on fire. I was going to be the next Billy Graham. Um, Problem was, no one was calling us. No one was calling us. Now, in order to pay the bills, I found a job through a temp agency. And the first job I got was uh, working in a cabinet shop. They made the high-end, or maybe the wooden display tables for high-end department stores. 
Um, so I was pretty excited about that because I actually always wanted to learn woodworking and uh, you know how to make things like that. And that was always one of my things I like to do. And so I show up bright and early that first day and I show up, find the foreman to say, where's my assignment? And he hands me a broom and he says, you're cleaning up after everybody today. That's your job. I was devastated. Um, I don't remember any, anything else about that day. I do remember vividly, though, that um, coming home that night, I went into the, pulled in the driveway, and, uh, you know, Betsy and the kids were playing outside in the yard, and I, I knew I, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just, I just walked inside, and Betsy must have noticed my facial expression or something, because she comes in after me, and what's, how'd your day go? Um, and I, and I, and I, honestly, I lost it. I just, I fell apart uh, in that moment. And after a few minutes, I kind of regained my composure, and I told her what had happened. Now, let me be clear. I wasn't upset because I had to push a broom. There, I, I honestly believe there is value in any job. However menial it is, that wasn't the issue. The issue was this. I had spent the past 15 years of my life preparing for that moment, that season of my life. By that point in time, I was supposed to be pastoring my own church. And instead, I'm the unemployed father of three living in my grandmother's mobile home in rural Minnesota. Life wasn't supposed to be like that. That's not how it was supposed to be. Life wasn't anywhere near I thought it would be at that point in time. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. The pain and disillusionment of finding yourself in a situation so far removed from what you expected and you had no idea if you're ever going to find your way out. You may be in a season like that right now. What got me through that season was the unwavering conviction that there was a God whose love for me was beyond my comprehension. And even though I didn't understand why things were the way they were, I clung to the hope and expectation that the final story of my life had yet to have been written. The resurrection of Jesus taught me there was was no obstacle that could keep God from accomplishing his purpose in my life, not even death. Jesus didn't just die for you because he was raised from the dead. Anything is possible. That's why his resurrection matters so much. Another reason why the resurrection is, is important is because it confirms that death does not have the final word. We celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, because we know the story does not end with the crucifixion. <clears throat> the disciples didn't know that. For about 48 hours, about 40 hours from a... Um, about three in the afternoon on Friday to sunrise on Sunday morning, they all thought everything was lost. All of their hope, even their reason for living, died on the cross with Jesus. I can't even begin to imagine the anguish that they felt. To give your life to something so fully and completely, only to have it disappear that quickly. Some of us, uh, or some among us, uh, have lost loved ones in recent past. And I know the pain and the sense of loss has been unbearable at times. But here's what I want all of us to know. Death does not have the final word. Because of the erection of Jesus, 
you will see them again. We will be together again. Death does not have the final word. Lastly, the resurrection has the power to change your life only if you believe. You know, there's a general opinion in our culture today that heaven is the default destination for everyone. That unless you really do something bad, you're going to heaven. In fact, to insinuate otherwise is, is reason to be canceled um, for whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, but the reality is that the Bible tells us otherwise. The Bible gives us very specific criteria for what is required to receive the resurrection power of Jesus. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 tell us this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. While I'm not going to be the judge for anyone, that's God's role, here's what I do believe. I believe Jesus' great reversal can become your great reversal if you choose to believe and receive his provision. So the question becomes, how will you respond to the resurrection? There's a few options. You can dismiss it and miss life. You can just, some may hear the message of Jesus' death and resurrection and reject it out of hand. They want nothing to do with it. And if you're among that group, my prayer is that you will encounter God in ways that are undeniable. Obviously, it's not a reasoned response that you need. You need an encounter with God just like Paul experienced. Others may hear the message, and while they don't reject it, they put it on the back burner of their life. They dismiss it by saying, I'll think about it later. And years go by, and they still haven't really resolved it in their own heart. If you find yourself in that camp, if you've been pushing off and pushing off and putting back that decision, let me suggest that maybe today is the day for you. So one option is to dismiss it. Another option is you can doubt it and stay stuck. You have enough doubt that it keeps you from embracing Jesus wholeheartedly. But you don't have so much doubt that you reject Jesus entirely. So you're stuck in between. Now, for you, let me, let me say that um, on, on, a, on some level, that's okay. You're in good company. The apostle Thomas doubted until he encountered Jesus personally. So even one of Jesus' closest followers needed that personal encounter with Jesus before he would believe in the resurrection. In fact, Matthew 28 says that when they saw him, they was actually more than the apostles. There was a group of people there. They worshiped him, but some doubted. Can you imagine that? You actually are seeing Jesus and you've encountered him, experienced him, but yet they're still in your minds like, wait a minute, something's not right. You know, you're still not willing to just accept it. It's okay to have questions, but at some point, you have to get off the fence. At some point, you have to make a decision how are you going to respond to the resurrection? And for you, maybe today is that day. Remembering the resurrection, regarding the resurrection of Jesus, then if you haven't already 
My prayer is that you will, and that's the third option, embrace it and discover life. Those who have already embraced the resurrection of Jesus have experienced firsthand the life that comes from surrendering everything to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, again, I'm just so incredibly grateful for your love that is so, uh, Lord, it's it's unfathomable, uh, the depth of your love that, that would send your son to die for us. And Father, but it wasn't just the death that is significant. It's, it's also, Lord, the resurrection. Because of that, we have victory today. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope and we have, Lord, we have you. And so, Lord, I, my prayer is that for any who are here this morning that are maybe wrestling with their faith, and they're really not sure where they stand, may, may your spirit, even now as we are here, in this very moment, give them that nudge and just say, today's your day. Today's the day. So Father, I pray that each of us would have this encounter with the risen Savior. That it isn't just a story, isn't just a religious ritual. It isn't just something that we do because it's on the calendar. But there's a, a, a real encounter with you that changes our life forever. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.